Scribble notes, uh, scribble notes when I wrote these quotes If I offend, pardon me, there's more of me to grow Creative in my process, enjoy the show The will is different when you recognize the different strokes Different folks, same goals, we all want the most So when we reach the top, we can enjoy the toast The type of bread we get is fresh about the bakery Told them don't play with me, with or without a degree Don't question my intensity, bravery Similar to agencies that want to see you fold So just pray for me, and pray for me Einstein with my energy Welcome to the Scribble Notes podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. I am super. I am super excited to have you on. Why don't you introduce yourself for the listeners? Let them know who you are and uh, tell them a little about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Dan Chodorkoff, and I'm here tonight to talk about my current novel, which is called Sugaring Down. I live here in Northern Vermont, which is where the novel takes place. It's based in the 1960s and uh, the 60s were a very influential era for me. I really came of age during that period and it had a profound effect on me, the politics, the counterculture, the sense that we were really creating a new world. And I've really remained active in various movements for social change ever since then. Uh, I got a PhD in cultural anthropology. I co-founded the Institute for Social Ecology with a theorist, a social theorist named Murray Bookchin. And I taught for 32 years as a college professor. I'm retired now. And through it all, uh, both my professional work in education and my life as an activist, I've always been something of a storyteller. That's really the nature of anthropology. We tell stories, the the whole ethnographic turn in anthropology is about telling stories. And and I found that my activism was most effective when I could tell a story as well. So uh, though I have certainly published more academic work, I have a collection of essays out called The Anthropology of Utopia, which consists of essays about social ecology and community development. But I've always been fascinated with the notion of taking ideas and presenting them in the form of stories. So I've mm. written a couple of novels and tried to bring the kind of political perspective and social change outlook that has really been essential to my life into the work itself. That that's awesome. I, I love the I love the ability just to mix so much of your life and put that into a story. Um, and especially when you get outside of academic writing and into the world of fiction, how, uh, how have you found that to be different? And how do you, have, how do you see those things as the same? Uh, well, I mean, as I said earlier, anthropology, at least ethnography, which is basically telling a story about a particular culture or group of people who you've lived with and worked with, uh, is certainly akin to writing fiction. I mean, there's an element of narrative, there's an element of character development. Uh, You know, at least in my ethnographic writing, I like to be descriptive. I like to paint a picture for people. Uh, And all of that carries over into fiction. Of course, fiction is different because there's an element of the imaginary involved. There's a, I find it to be a, a very creative way to sort of take ideas and put them in a context that people may be more open to, more receptive to. You know, when you write an academic piece for a journal, 
if you're lucky, 300 people will read it. And certainly fiction has the potential at least to reach a much larger audience. And that appealed to me too. I'd like to, I think they're important ideas. I'd like to see them popularized. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the story itself and, and sort of what the narrative arc looks like for those characters? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Sugaring Down takes place in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom in 1968. And it was a time in Vermont when a lot of young people were moving up here and creating, forming communes back to the land movement. Uh, there were over 100 communes in Vermont at that time. And a number of them were started by people who were sort of uh, political refugees, people who had been very involved in the anti-war movement and the new left, civil rights, who were feeling uh, either burned out or feeling like there was an, an, another way to approach those issues. And they came up here and formed communes. So the story is about a commune, a political commune, a collective, they call themselves, in the Northeast Kingdom in 1968. It's really... Two, has two central characters, uh, David and Jill, who are a couple. And we see their relationship develop and evolve as they struggle to really find a place in Vermont to adapt to what is a pretty harsh environment, especially in the winter. They're living a, you know, cramped with six other people in an old farmhouse without any insulation, heated by wood in the middle of the winter out really in the middle of nowhere up a dirt road with their closest neighbors live down the road in a trailer. They're the old couple that used to own the farm that uh, David and Jill and their commune have ended up at. And they befriend them and they help them out a lot. They teach them about surviving the winter. They teach them about growing a garden. They teach them about their town and what's expected of them and neighborliness. And they discover a lot of very beautiful things about Vermont and about those people. At the same time, there's a tension because not everyone in town is friendly. In mm -hmm. fact, there's a, a group that's very hostile towards them. So they're dealing with that as well. And there are a couple of incidents that are not too pleasant. At the same time, they're trying to maintain their involvement with the anti-war movement and make connections with other communal groups in Vermont. So the story unfolds over the course really of uh, two years. And we see their relationship change as the anti-war movement changes. This is 1968-69, of course, was the Chicago protests where the police beat all of the protesters. And yeah. it was the breakup of Students for a Democratic Society, which was an anti-war movement that had over 300,000 student members, 300 chapters around the country. And there was a small faction that splintered off and called themselves the Weathermen, and they began a campaign of bombing symbolic targets. So mm -hmm. they're dealing with that tension as well, and uh, the commune really breaks up over it. Several members go underground, join the Weathermen faction. And then there's, uh, as David and Jill's relationship falls apart, they split up. He returns to Vermont, finds everyone has left the commune spends the winter there alone, pining for Jill, and things ensue from there. So mm. that's, sounds, that's a, it's, it sounds deep. I don't want to give away the ending. <laughs> no, it sounds deep, sounds detailed. Would you uh would you call it more character driven or plot driven? Uh I think it's a combination. I think mm. there is a, a pretty strong plot running through the narrative that hopefully will keep readers engaged. 
but it's also very much a study of David and Jill and their relationship and uh, the two old farmers who befriend them, mm. Leland and Mary. So there's, there's, and there's a dog story in it uh, to, to complicate things further. But I, I had a lot of fun with it and it explores some themes that are important to me. So mm. I hope once again, the readers will check it out and find it engaging. Yeah, I always think it's, uh, I always think it's important for, one, for an author to tell their story the way they want to um, and touch on the themes and the ideas that really resonate with you because I've, I've found that the things that resonate with the author often resonate with the reader as well. Um, some of the things that even you've mentioned uh, just in that short time period have me interested just because it's like that I feel like as an activist, as someone that's involved in so many movements and different different ideologies, exploring a different time period and seeing what that looked like then, uh, being able to take kind of a deep dive into into a into a past society that has existed, but a fictional society where the the ramifications aren't aren't necessarily impacting our real world. It seems so interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I find it fascinating. And it's, I think, uh, you know, the ideas, the, some of the themes that I explore in the book have relevance today too. Uh, you know, we're living in times when we really need to think about how society is changing, how we can influence that change, what direction we're gonna go. We're seeing a rise of fascism, which is, I think what a lot of us were seeing back in the 60s as well. And how do you respond to that effectively? I think there are lessons to be learned from that period. But it's really interesting to me that several reviewers or, well, yeah, a couple of reviewers have actually referred to this book as a work of historical fiction. And, and you sort of alluded to that as well. And, I, you know, personally, I don't think of it in those terms because it's my life. But uh, <laughs> it's true. It's, you know, it's a long time ago, it's 60 years ago. And uh, things have certainly changed. Yeah, so. I, I've definitely, um, I definitely have seen that happen sometimes, uh, where where readers kind of put books into different genres than the author might have considered. Um, yeah. That's happened to me many times. Uh, I write dark fantasy is my main genre, I thought. Um, but a ton of the writing that I've done has been considered LGBT fantasy um, because of some of the lead characters. And, and, yeah. and it's, it's so interesting because that never was the intention, but it ended up becoming such a major piece of the story uh, that most readers uh, started to see that. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I would have never even categorized it there, but it even in reflection, I'm like, yeah, that's a huge plot line. Like the main plot line for most of the books is is their is the relationship between two husbands, uh, yeah. which I never considered. Well, interesting, yeah. But you know, when I look at it, I mean, it it is his, it's history. It's history. Actually, the historical society here in Vermont spent a whole year looking at the 1970s and uh, mm. they had me on a panel to talk about some of that, some of the stuff that I discuss in the book. And so they clearly think of that era as a historic period. Yeah, makes sense. So what was, uh, what was it like writing this story? Because you did, 
get to touch so much of lived experience in your own your own life um how much research did you have to do into that time period and um, what if well, any well I'm, I'm old enough that my memory wasn't as sharp as it used <laughs> to be, I, I did go through some archive material uh, a couple of different places to sort of jog things but uh, a lot of it is from based on personal experience i mean i want to emphasize it's a novel mm. uh, the characters are purely my creation and the situations, some of the situations described uh, reflect some of my experiences, but not all of them. Some of the, uh, some of the situations in the book, I actually had to tone down to make them more believable. Mm. Uh, but the sixties <laughs> were like that. It was a wild time. And you know what they say, if, uh, if you remember the sixties, then you really weren't there. So, <laughs> so, I was gonna I was gonna ask about that. So I've actually I've tried to write some short stories and I'm I'm getting a short story published. It's take it takes place in I, I believe 1960 or 1978. Um and I had to do a ton of research to to just write a short story, uh, to try to make it sound and make people speak and remember what music was and all those things. What about those little references that you had to to fall back on? How were those things like for you to, to go back? Surprisingly, a lot of those were fresh. You know, I don't think you ever forget the music that affected you when you were a young person. I certainly haven't. So mm-hmm. that that was fresh. And and the politics were something that I've, you know, I've continued to examine and struggle with and try to make sense out of really since the 60s. So that was, and in many ways, the book, writing the book was sort of a, a way to, to do that, to, almost a catharsis to sort of get it out. And uh, yeah, so, you know, there was research. It was, it was a very evocative process for me. Made me think a lot about those days, both in personal terms and in political terms and cultural terms. Uh, you know, I, I took my time writing this book. Yeah, and it gave me an opportunity to really think back over those times and, and look at them pretty closely. It was, it was cool, it was fun. What was uh what was your writing process like? Are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? How did you come up with the narrative for this story? Uh, you know, I, I had been thinking about the story for a while, mm. uh, but I, I didn't outline it or anything like that. I just sat down. I started writing. I like to do my first drafts longhand on yellow legal pads. <laughs> so I generated a stack of legal pads and Oh, that's, that sounds tough. That sounds tough. Did my first edit when I uh, typed it into the computer. Hmm. Yeah, but I'm not. Um, I'm not a very disciplined writer. I have to admit it. Like I said, I took my time writing this book, and I, I sort of I wait until the spirit really moves me. I mean, you know, writing's a process. It's yeah. continual. You're almost always thinking about it, thinking about your characters, or where do I go with the plot? At least I am often, but the actual writing often happened pretty sporadically. I'd not write for a few weeks or a few months, and then I'd sit down and write intensely for a couple of weeks, or not so intensely for a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I really admire people who have a discipline, who set aside a set amount of time every day and sit at their desk and write, but I find I can't do that. Mm. I'm I'm very much someone who 
I can only write in spurts. I'm like, I, I can do three months of writing and I'll try to knock out the whole book at once. But after that, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I get not writer's block, but I think I, I just, my mind goes different places. Mm-hmm. I also need more time to come up with more ideas. So until I get an idea, I'm a plotter. So that doesn't help. I need to know the whole story and all the details before I could ever actually write anything. So for me, it could take two or three months of just thinking about the story, driving around and on the way to work, writing things, writing things down and taking notes. I take a ton of notes about ideas I have when they come to me, but it does, it definitely, it definitely is interesting. Every writer I've talked to has had a different experience with writing in their process and it's always fun to to see because we all are so different in the way that we we go out and actually create. That's for sure. Yeah. So with your writing process, when you do start writing and when you are going, how how do you build your characters? Uh I I've heard many different ways. Some people do storyboards, some people uh do full profiles. I've heard people do uh, Myers-Briggs for their characters and create all of the all of the little things and do personality tests. How do you go about creating your characters? Um, my characters are actually amalgams of people that I know or knew. Mm. And and uh, that, you know, I don't I don't give a lot of forethought to them. I, I mean, they sort of develop their own gestures and characteristics and. And uh, they take shape as the story develops for me. I don't give a lot of conscious thought to it. Mm. I, I also like that. Some of that is the, some of that is like panting it a little bit, like figuring out different ways to write as you're writing. But I've, oft, I've found that some of the best characters and some of the best character moments come from allowing the character to be themselves and respond as they would. Uh, not necessarily trying to, paint them or create them in a certain light they almost become uh, a character of themselves if you if you go too far into leaning on certain aspects um i got my master's degree in uh psychology uh, or in counseling and one of the things i noticed is that oftentimes people react differently no matter people react differently to different environments um and in relation to different people so seeing how someone would react in front of their parent or their son um, or their sister, those interactions can be all different, even if they're the same thing. Someone could be eating lunch with this person and have a very different response than if they ate lunch with someone else. And it's always fun to see how you create those characters to be as realistic as possible um, or as realistic as they need to be for the story. Right. Yeah, I guess I do a lot of my character development comes through finding their voice and Mm. and the right tone and vocabulary and intonation and all of that. And and there too, I'm usually guided by people who I know or knew, you know, I I hear their rhythms and I sort of draw on those in creating the character. Yeah, building, building so much of that. Building the voice of the character has been, at least for me, it's been one of those things that has taken time, taken a lot of energy. It's a spot where I have to spend a lot of time in the edit, making sure that 
I like to write with multiple character perspectives. So making sure each character really ha thinks the way that they think it sees the world through their lens. Uh, it's it's such an interesting area to be in as a writer when you're really trying to dive into the mind of someone else. That's so true. Yeah, in, in this book, I have uh, it's first person narrative, but there are two narrators: one primary <laughs> narrator, but then another. And yeah, and they're often commenting on the same event, and it's got to be very clear who's who. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be clear whose thought is what, and it's it's so important to make sure that they sound like them when they're thinking about it. And it's just it's so weird even describing it sometimes out loud because, as a reader, you might not even realize, but you always know if the character doesn't sound like they should. Yep. So, one of the things I want to ask you, uh, what has the publishing process been like for you? Um, with this book, what has your publishing process been like? How have you gone about it? Yeah, well, with this book, it's it was very simple and very straightforward because I just approached the person who had published my first novel, Fomite Press, and mm. I had a great experience with them the first time, and they were looking for another book from me and were very receptive. So. Uh, and it went really well. And one of the things that I love about Fomite is that there is an editor there who really, you know, he really worked with me intently on both books. And he's someone who's a, he's a very accomplished novelist himself. And I respect him and I really appreciated the time that he spent with me. And I think that's unusual in publishing today, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're a really well-established writer, you're not gonna get a lot of attention lavished on you. And uh, I really appreciated that. And, you know, they're great. They're a small literary press. They publish fiction and poetry and occasionally other stuff. It's very idiosyncratic. Uh, you know, they distribute through Ingrams. They, they mm -hmm. don't really do anything in terms of promoting the books, but very few small presses do. And, uh, you know, they've just been, they've been great to work with. So mm. any, uh, any tips? Well, I, I'll tell you with my first novel, I tried to go the commercial route and I've sent out stuff to, trying to find an agent and all of that. And, you know, I got some encouragement, but nobody wanted to take the book on, as I said, it's kind of a quirky genre. It's, you know, countercultural political fiction. So it doesn't really sound like a million seller to anybody. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and I found that pretty disheartening. And I, I was at a party, a literary party actually for a publisher of Grey Wolf Press. And uh, the publisher of Fomite was there and he's someone who I knew, and I mentioned to him that I had a book. He Actually, he wasn't publishing Fomite, and he was publishing his own stuff with a major commercial press. And uh, I mentioned to him I had a book, and he said, oh, well, you know, send it, I'll, I'll read it. He read it, he really liked it. And then about a year later, I got a call from him, and he said, I'm starting a publishing venture, and I'd like to publish your book. So I was actually one of the first six or seven titles that they published. Wow. And now, you know, they have about 150 titles out now. So so that was my experience. And in terms of tips, I mean, 
boy, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know what to tell. I mean, I, I guess, you know, look, don't necessarily look for a commercial press. There are a million little presses out there now that are doing really great stuff and they're very niche oriented. So if you're writing, you know, dark, gay science fiction, which actually is probably bestseller material these days. Um, yeah, just, just finishing um, uh, Marlon James, the second in his trilogy. Have you read those? No, I have not. I've no oh, name. Have look at it. You'll love it. It's it's gay science fiction, fantasy stuff. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, you know there are a million little presses out there, niche presses. So th that's where I would look. Mm. And good luck to everyone. <laughs> good luck indeed. I definitely. I've seen everyone of all sorts going in every direction as far as publishing goes. Uh, I feel like it's such an open space now with so many opportunities and so many options for folks to explore and see uh, what works best, especially when it comes to publishing timelines and, and all those other pieces that come with uh, putting your book out there. But I know, I know one of the things that a lot of people get afraid of when it comes to writing uh, is often like not finishing the project or people getting writer's block and being afraid of how long it might take. Um, what kind of tips do you have for people to actually write and actually get through the process? Uh, because even if you take for a long time, you take your, even if you take your time writing the book, you still finished. So what kind of tips do you have for helping people actually finish their, their manuscript? Uh -huh. Get your ass in the chair and write. I mean, that's it. That's the hardest part, I think, is actually sitting down and committing words to the page. Mm. I find once I can get in the place where I'm sitting there, for me, it tends to come to flow. You know, I wouldn't say mm. it comes easily, but it comes. Um, but sometimes it can take a couple months before I can sit down and start. You know, just, just feeling that tension and needing finally to express it but mm. i think yeah the more time you can put into the chair the better it'll go yeah a lot of times it's just getting started that is the biggest hurdle for people to get over it's definitely a hurdle for me sometimes i've been i have a third book in my trilogy coming out or i'm planning to release it in august but I would been waiting on the editing process because i was busy with work i work at a university in connecticut and I'm taking my time doing all the April things. You know, April's a very busy season at university. Right. And I, I just haven't had time to sit down and, and write and edit. So I just hopped back in earlier this week into the actual editing process. And I've just loved it every single second. It's just been amazing. And I forgot how much I really enjoyed writing because I took three or four weeks off. <laughs> But it is a, it's an amazing feeling when you go back to, to actually doing it. And I think sometimes sometimes it's just uh, it, it is a daunting task. You look you sit down and sometimes you have to write 50,000 words or 60, 100,000 words is the word count for the story. And that's a lot, especially when you're starting with a blank page. But you got to write something. And I think mm -hmm. taking that time and, and one word after the other is all you need. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing, though, because I do find that, that once I sit down, sometimes when you really get into it, 
it takes on a life of its own and it takes over your life. And even when you're not sitting at the desk, you're thinking about it and you're writing in your head. So it can be all consuming. There's no question about it. And it does feel wonderful. You know, mm. it, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's the piece that can't be undersold. It's just how how amazing it actually does feel when you start the process, when you're going and you're doing it. Um, I know one thing that I, I've learned, because my first book, I'd say, my first book took a while to write, and I just didn't have, the word count wasn't there. Like I, I wasn't writing all that much any any given day, where now I'm, I'm cranking out four or 5,000 words and a day or two because I'm just pouring out the whole story. I know what I want to write and I'm just letting the characters go and I'll fix it in editing. And now I'm in editing. So now I'm really going back <laughs> and getting it done. Yeah. But do you, it, do you like editing? Uh, I, I enjoy editing. I have a, I have a very like, I have a very particular process. I have a sticky note of how I want it done. And I think that I, I basically look at each phase of what I need to edit and hit those chunks as they go. And for me, it works out really well. And, and it has for the last couple of books. And this third process is even more fun because I have so much already, already prepared, but it's it. I enjoy editing. I don't, I'm not one to, to hate it. I love getting feedback and I love seeing how I can change the story or make it better. I, I like editing too. I really do. Problem is sometimes I don't know when to stop editing. <laughs> When is the book done? That's always a question. The book is never done. The book is never done until well, they, until it's published. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once it's committed to print, then I guess it's done. And it's, that is basically finished for me. Um, so we're coming up on the end of our time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to kind of plug. Where can people buy the book? Where can they find it? Where can they connect with you? Uh, well, I would advise that folks buy the book, order it through your local bookstore. Mm. Uh, it is, of course, available on Amazon and all of that. But, you know, we got to support our local bookstores. So your local independent bookstore is your best source for it. Uh, it's distributed through Ingram. They can, they can get it. No problem there. Uh, getting in touch with me, you know, I'm an old guy and I don't really have a social media presence. Uh, I, I guess... Uh, you know, if somebody really wants to get a hold of me, they could send me an email. Uh, it's just D Choderkoff, spelled C H O D O R K O F F at gmail.com. Uh, I, I think I have something on Facebook, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. I, I know, and I know because my publisher tells me you've got to have a social media presence, that's the way you sell books. <laughs> It's not my thing. Uh, you no. know, I mean, I'm really happy. I'm glad I'm on your podcast. And I guess that's social media, too. Huh? That is social media. Uh, but yes. you've been wonderful. I was going to ask, do you have any final takeaways for for aspiring authors, um, for creative folks in general, just about how, how you've been able to do it for so long and write and what you what, what kind of advice do you have for us? I, I, I'm, I don't know that I have any great advice. I think the main thing is to just do it you know allow yourself the space to do it mm. and good things will come mm. thank you definitely appreciate it this has been an episode of the scribbled notes podcast y'all know what to do like the video subscribe 
uh, leave a rating. I definitely need more ratings on the podcast. So feel free to do all that. And I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Scribble notes. Uh. Scribble notes when I wrote these quotes. If I offend, pardon me, there's more of me to grow. Creative in my process, enjoy the show. The will is different when you recognize the different strokes. Different folks, same goals, we all want the most. So when we reach the top, we can enjoy the toast. The type of bread we get is fresh about the bakery. Told them don't play with me. With or without a degree, don't question my intensity. Bravery, similar to agencies that want to see you fold. So just pray for me and pray for me. I ain't starting with my enemies.